What's going on, everybody? Glenn P. Brooks Jr. here. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, and I'm a coach. And I want to welcome you to We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. I get the opportunity to add value to entrepreneurs, business owners, and ministry leaders, both on and offline. And this episode is going to be no different. Stick around, and we're going to get started right now. Well, it's good to be back with you guys for another episode of We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. I'm Glenn P. Brooks Jr., and I'm super excited about the opportunity that we have to be able to uh, bring to you guys stories, amazing stories of of people who have built some extraordinary brands. And I really believe uh, that when you lean into why people do what they do, it puts you in a position uh, to sort of be endeared to their brand. Uh, The story behind the brand is what we've been featuring recently uh, here on We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. And today, I'm excited to be featuring my guy, uh, John Schultz. Before we go to him, I want to let you guys know that in a blog on HuffPost.com, the contributing writer, Flynn Coleman, asks this question, why are stories so powerful? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that they are more memorable than facts. Our brains are actually wired to respond to stories. Metaphors and anecdotes help us to relate ideas to our own experiences, providing richness and texture. Stories bring you and your listeners into a multidimensional world full of colors, sights, smells, emotions, making us all feel as though we were actually a part of the living story. The truth of the matter is is that we're featuring a guy today that I've known since 2006, had the opportunity to meet him when we uh, moved to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and planted a church in Stone Mountain. Uh, He was one of the first people that I met. Uh, He was attending New Birth uh, Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, God rest uh, the soul of Bishop Eddie O'Long. And uh, this is where I uh, had a chance to meet John. Uh, John was basically my counterpart. And so for our ministry organization, I was the guy uh, that made sure that all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed when it came to marketing and promoting uh, stage productions that we were producing. And uh, we actually took one of our stage plays to New Birth, shut the city completely down. Uh, We had over 10,000 people in a building on a Wednesday night for a one-man stage play. And John was one of those people that helped us pull that off and make that happen. I've since been able to uh, really have uh, some incredible opportunities to coach him in real life. And today I want you guys to be really introduced to his brand. He's built an extraordinary brand and he's going to tell you a little bit more about that, particularly in the franchising space. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome uh, to the stage uh, my great friend, John Shows. John, it's good to have you, bro. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, um, Glenn. Thank you for the introduction. You know, sometimes it's uh, hard to hear about yourself. Um, but I'm thankful that I'm, I'm walking in the discipline of gratitude, so I'm grateful. Yes, no doubt. So, John, what I want to do is I really want to set this up. People have no idea um, sort of where you come from. I know you're from Philly, and I want you to go all the way back to the beginning, and I want you to talk a little bit about John Schultz, the person, and uh, how you grew up, some of the things you were exposed to, and quite frankly, as a result of that, it's absolutely informed your brand to a whole nother level. Yes. Um, my name is John Schultz, has stated, and I am from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I born December 28, 1969. So birthday is uh, looming in the, in, in the, in the wings. Um, 
I am the third child of Santa Maria Perrin and John Schultz. And, um, but I am the only boy. I have two uh, sisters above me and two below me. Uh, and so in many rights, uh, I will be consider- I could be considered as the only child um, because my mom was trying to have all boys and struck out and only had one. And so um, growing up as a, a male in a family dominated by women, two door- divorced parents, um, I didn't know they were divorced, but they got divorced sometime, or I guess around I was three or four. Um, I was heavily influenced from my mother about finishing what you start. And so that that lesson um, kind of followed me all the way. I've always been an entertainer or someone to enjoy making people uh, smile or laugh or entertaining them, uh, family gatherings, uh, sort of like Eddie Murphy kind of stood up in the middle around Thanksgiving time or Christmas time and kind of did your singing or dancing or your comedy act. And so that was uh, something I regularly did. I did that often with my family reunions as well. But my life began to take shape um, when my sisters began to take dance lessons. And I was playing organized sports or rec league. I played football, baseball, basketball, and bowling. And um, primarily I was in those particular recreational sports because my mom was a single mother and did not have anywhere for me to go. And so the sports um, arena recreation really was my babysitter. I just happened to be very good at sports, very, very good at sports. Um, But my football coach, uh, Clarence uh, Thomas, and not the superior uh, judge, but Clarence Thomas um, gave me a suggestion, said, hey, if you want to have more balance when you're running the ball, um, because my football idol at the time was Tony Dorsett, and I wore his number, number 33, uh, the Hall of Famer from the Dallas Cowboys. Um, He said, if you want more balance, you might want to consider taking dance class. Well, I frowned upon it because during those times, it looked and would be frowned upon that if a boy was taking dance, that he his, he was going to be a homosexual lead towards that lifestyle. So I really frowned upon it just in my ignorance at that young age, around eight years old. But I went and took dance. Um, I took tap dance from John Hines, who's the brother to Gregory Hines. I took ballet and I took jazz. And um <laughs> um, you know, amazingly, I loved it and was very good at it and performed at the um, Academy, Performing Arts Academy downtown in Philly um, with tap, jazz and ballet, not knowing that three years later, I was going to be auditioning as an eighth grader at the School of Performing Arts. They call it Kappa, Creative and Performing Arts. And in order to get into that school, it will remind you of the TV show Fame. And so I wanted to be Leroy. And I don't know if you remember Leroy with the the leg warmers and the cornrows and the muscles in his body. And what he got to do was lift lift the girls in class because, of course, the male figure was the one that was moving the women across the dance floor. And so he was one of my role models, early role models, 
um, male role models because my dad was present, but he wasn't active in my home. And so I can just see the, uh, the dance pants. So that was the first time I had a onesie on. It was an all black onesie with sequins, uh, at the bottom of the pants and on the cuffs. And I was killing the game. And so I had found, found and had a love of the arts, my first formal introduction to dance and theatrical arts. From there, I auditioned for the Creative and Performing Arts School when my major was vocal um, because I was singing and I had to minor in, a minor in dance. And then instead of um, instrumental, I went into drama. And so that's when I first found about what they called a triple threat. So, yeah, Glenn, that's just kind of the beginning what started forming me into this theatrical entertainer with formal training to show me that there are things that are not just happening. There is actually a pathway and a blueprint to making things uh, come to life. Yeah, I love it. I love it, John. You have shared a lot, bro. I'm still sitting here saying, man, I thought I knew you. You in a tutu? I I, I didn't know that part of you. <laughs> I love well, yeah, it. But here's the blessing. It was no tutu, but there were definitely uh, joggers. I love it. Joggers before no, joggers were invented. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Here's one of the things that I want. If you're just tuning into this podcast, I'm talking to my great friend, John Schultz. Uh, he has gone on to build an amazing business, but we're talking a little bit about the story behind the brand. John, growing up in, in Philadelphia, um, Philly, um, for anybody who's ever been to the city, uh, depending on what section of Philly you're talking about, is not a fun place to grow up in terms of challenges that you're going to navigate through uh, in the inner city. Um, a lot of challenges and growing up in a single parent home don't make it much easier because quite frankly, you're left to yourself. You talked a lot about the sports piece and, 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 and all of that. Can you talk to us a little bit about how the community of team began to shape your experiences now in business? Well, before I understood the word accountability um, and, and dependability and intradependence, um, I love being on my teams. Um, it, 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 they were the brothers that I always wished I had. Um, they were, they were the fathers and protectors that I wished I had. Uh, because I was um, small, um, five, five and a half. So I am the average woman's height. I'll say that again. Let that breathe. So be, I had to have wittiness, I had to have speed, and I had to have no, and I, I had to learn how to fight being in Philly. I didn't have a big brother to protect me, so I learned how to fight, I learned how to run, and I learned how to get out of situations by using my mouth more than important, more importantly, how to use my mouth and how to negotiate my situation to get out of way of trouble. And so I used my, my wittiness and comedic relief to disarm many situations. So sports allowed me to anchor into a place where my athletic ability allowed me to move along and be, uh, quite frankly, as you would say, coach, became quite popular because I was able to do a lot of things um, in such a small package. And so I was very, very 
good and playing football and baseball to the point that I had a baseball scholarship um, and and uh, they wanted me to go to school and play baseball, but my love for the arts overt- overtook that. But here's team. Team tells you you have to dress alike, you have to move alike, you have to follow a plan. You have to submit yourself to someone else's vision on where the team should go. And um, what else did I learn about it? That team will put you in the best position if you're willing to listen. And so all my sports career, and I love sports right now, um, I base my analogies around sports. I base my life lessons around sports. So sports had a very great impact, and it was a safe haven um, where I didn't have to sit on the stoop um, because, quite frankly, I kept losing my key to get in the house, and my mom stopped me from becoming a latchkey kid to going to the after-school sports programs. So, yeah, Glenn, I thank God for those um, Old God's Avenue Boys Club sports programs. Along I love with it. Cups, along with the Cub Scouts and Weeblos. I love it. I love it. Yeah, man. You can't forget the Cub Scouts, the Weeblos, been there, done that. And later, the Boy Scouts. John, you said something, and I really want to kind of lean into this part as we uh, begin to transition a little bit into what you do in your business. Um, I know you as a fierce negotiator. Um, you have the ability uh, to talk anybody out of and into stuff that they want and don't want, quite frankly. Um, it's more than a salesperson. You, there's a psychology and, and, and a warmth, quite frankly, uh, that you have when you approach the negotiating table and it makes people uh, want to talk to you. Um, I've seen that firsthand live in person, um, being on the other side of the table, uh, negotiating, like how much are we going to pay for this venue, that sort of thing. Um, let me ask you a question. As you, uh, you know, have built uh, a couple of businesses now, I want you to kind of talk a little bit about how did that negotiate, and I wrote it down, negotiating starts in conflict. And, and, and that's kind of a takeaway that I just just heard when you shared that. And, and my story, similar to yours, you know, I found myself having to talk my way out of a whole bunch of things. And it sort of built that. For you, how did those negotiating skills follow you to the business uh, sector of the world? And can you talk to us and bring us up to speed a little bit about, you know, what you do in business and how that all helps? All righty. And so... Negotiation for me at a younger age was just a basic way of escape, a, a way of staying alive for the next day, um, the way of staying ahead of what I thought was my deficiencies, uh, a way of covering up um, my weakness, my my lack of education or lack of, of detail to uh, attention to detail, um, but. As I've got, gotten older and moving towards my young adulthood between 18 and 25, it became a, a mindset of becoming a win-win, um, being a, a, a high flamingo um, and, and the rarity of flamingo that was about a high S as well because I understood process and systems. I'm a system person. I'm a logistical person when I'm thinking. I just have enough lying that if it... If, if people won't follow the system, then I'll enforce the system. So I, I, I got into negotiating or learned to negotiate 
by automatically coming in with the win-win attitude from the jump. I want this um, business. I want this relationship. I want this ministry. I want all this to be a win-win. You win and I win. Not I win, you lose. They win, I lose. That I want to go into situations where the win-win. So I begin to learn how to balance that line of being heavy enough when I need to, but light enough when I don't need to. And I sort of, I sort of call it walking in peace. And so let me get a picture there, see if I can word this. Walking in peace. Peace is a place where you're balancing the unrest with the rest. And so if you could picture yourself on a teeter-totter or a seesaw and it's going up and down, but at some point, if if you balance it right, it becomes at the standstill. Well, if you think about it, Jesus even made peace stand still. He said, peace, be still. Which meant that if you're in peace, it's a constant movement or a ebb and flow of making things work on being able to chameleon your body or your mind or your thoughts to bend one way or the other. Now, some people might call that flippant. Some people might call that to and fro. I call it a balance act. I call it negotiating. I call it a place of a win-win. So I've used that skill to get to where I am. So currently, I am a franchise owner with a prominent franchise uh, that sells Hawaiian shaved ice. And I got there because I needed a vehicle that would allow me to be back in front of people because my strength is I gather people and I entertain people. You heard that way back when I was little. I love to see people smile, but I needed the new venture. I needed the new place of business to incorporate a couple of things. It had to meet my financial goal, not just to me, but my family and more specifically my COO. Stacy Chokes, the Jar Cake League. Uh, secondly, it needed to be a place where I can do more with less time. So I had to find something that put me in the place of what I love. And then thirdly, it had to have such a significant impact that I can feel good about my biblical or my, my belief duty. Because I believe that I'm here on purpose to impact, inspire, and to influence. And so I found this franchise called Kona Ice, like Kona, Hawaii. And I visited Kona, Hawaii three or four times with my family when I worked with Delta Airlines. And we will fly there. And when I saw this franchise and I looked at it and I saw the lines and lines of people waiting in line patiently to get this cool frozen dessert and then I I was counting the heads based on the lowest cup price on that truck I came home July 31st 2017 and I told my wife I know how I'm leaving Delta and she said how are you going to leave Delta I said I'm going to sell shaved ice ice cream she said, you got to be kidding. <laughs> You're not going to leave Delta, ice, Delta Airlines to sell ice cream. What is your plan? And when she asked me for the plan, I froze. I got intimidated and I got mad 
because I wasn't a planner. I wasn't a planner. So I never put any of my thoughts on paper. And so in order for me to leave Delta Airlines, I had to negotiate with Stacy in order to find out my conditions on how I would leave a good paying nine to five job, steady income to go to a place of the unknown. So yes, Glenn, negotiation has helped me and aided me well in all my endeavors. Listen, I love it. I love it. I love it. I Listen, I, I got so many notes that I'm writing here. Um, one of the things that just kind of really struck me, and I'm sure the people who are listening heard this too, this idea of about, about striking uh, this balance or, or walking in peace is what you called it. Um, you know, a lot of times in business, we often are hearing the term work-life balance. And anybody who's actually tried to achieve that find that balance doesn't always necessarily mean doing things equally, but it does mean giving things equal time. Um, one of the things I'm hearing you talk about is that you were able to consider your family and consider the time that you would take in order to be able to do this. You said you got angry because you weren't a planner. Um, what did you do with that anger? So this time around, instead of shelving it, putting it on the shelf or dismissing my dream or putting it away and walking away from it, I went and took the skills that I always had and didn't want to do it because of laziness. Let me say that again. It's not because I didn't have the skill. It's not because I didn't want to. It's because I was lazy and wanted somebody else to write my dream. And so because I no longer wanted anybody else to have the power over my dream, I took the time to research, research, write down, and I came back in September and I, I spoke to Stacy and I said, I have the plan. We don't have any money in our tangible hands. And Stacy asks one question, what can we do with our own two hands? And so I worked at Delta Airlines for 10 years for a couple of reasons. I wanted to get the free flying benefits. I, I just had left ministry full time working at New Birth for 11 years. And I said that it, uh, to do my... Um, meeting event business. I was in the event business and so I became a certified uh, event planner. Now, here's the thing. I can event and plan right for everybody, but did not want to do it for myself. So I was skilled to do it. But I took the advice of my wife and I used my nine to five job. I took $20,000 for my 401k and I put the seed money down to get the franchise. And part of that plan was, is that once you take the money and you make that money back, that you had to put it back in. And I had to work both jobs, Delta Airlines and Kona Ice until I reached six months worth of my salary in order for me to leave Delta Airlines based on the plan that was written, based on the plan that Stacey and I agreed on. Well, as God would do it and has always done it for me, in 2018, April 2018, after going through the Kona Ice College and doing the research 
and immersing myself with the knowledge of franchising and entrepreneurship full time. We pulled the trigger, ordered the truck in February of 2018. In 2018 of April, we went to the one week of Kona College. We picked up the truck and we were driving back down. And in my first 28 days, hear me, my first 28 days, because a plan was written, I made my I made my six months worth of my salary and I left Delta Airlines June 28, 2018, when I thought it was going to take me another year. I left in 28 days. And ever since then, I've been on my pathway. And so a plan, not a perfect plan, but a plan or a POA, a plan of action uh, is needed even when you are walking in faith, because when your faith begins to waver, a plan helps you stay focused on what your end goal is in mind. Let me me just say this. I I could talk to you all morning, brother. I am inspired and I know you personally. Um, What I want to do is I really want to hear from some people that are in the audience. For those of you guys who are listening to the podcast, we're actually recording this live on Clubhouse. Certainly encourage you to come in and follow us, everything at Glenn P. Brooks Jr. And uh, we certainly would love to have you there. John, in in, in closing, before we let you go, um, I got a question that I'm going to pose to you. And I'd like you to kind of use this to sort of close out a little bit and maybe impart some wisdom. But I'm going to also ask this of our audience. So if you're in the audience, guys, I want you to write this question down. And and how does this apply to you? Uh, But the question is, why do we show up for everyone else but us? That's the question. When you talked about this idea of running an event planning, like you're a certified event planner. And so for you not to write down your own vision and be able to run that play for you, but you can do it uh, for everyone else. For you, why was that? And uh, what have you learned uh, since those days? And congratulations, by the way, on all your success, bro. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, It means the world to uh, be doing this podcast with you, to be able to share with your listeners. Um, Why don't we do it for ourselves? I think it's because of fear, because you have to sit with yourself. You have to um, examine your weaknesses. Um, Lynette talks about it all the time, your SWOT. And so I had to do a SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats. And we could talk about strengths, And a lot of times we can even mention our weaknesses, but the threat, the threat that do I have the confidence in myself to write a plan that will be successful for me? And do I have a fortitude to walk through the plan and coach myself through the plan as if I was writing it for a client or anyone else. So here's the lesson that I get from this. You have to anchor in, you have to believe in, and you have to walk it out despite what you see. And so it gave me a a new principle that I walk by all the time. I inspect what I expect. Once again, I inspect what I expect, which means what I expect from myself, I have to go into this introspective introspective place to write down the play, 
right down the plant and run the play outside of myself, almost like in third person. You have to take yourself out of yourself and believe in what you wrote and believe in what you um, see happening to you. And you have to walk in it regardless of what may come your way. And so that's a faith walk. That's a belief walk. And, and believe it or not, it's a trust that you have with God and yourself that you can accomplish the very thing you have experienced and encourage people to do. And so, Coach, being with you, being a franchise owner has given me such a freedom because daily. Now, I didn't mention this, and I'd like to mention this because this will help. I believed in it so much. Stacy and I were driving down the road April 18th from um, Lexington, Kentucky, coming back to Atlanta in the truck, in the Kona ice truck. Now, this truck is very colorful, has a big uh, penguin on it. All the colors is an experience. We're riding in the truck and we're coming down the road and we have not sold one cup of ice. And my wife looks to me and she says, Schultz, I think we might need to make a move to give ourselves some more room so that we can expand the way you run. Because I know once you run, you're going to want to increase your territory. And so without selling one cup of ice, right then, we decided to buy our second truck. And right now we are four. Now, listen, we bought our second truck without selling one cup of ice because of the plan and the belief I had in myself that I learned because I followed the play. I followed my own play, coach. And because of that, we had the faith to go buy another truck. And now we are owners of four Kona ice trucks with operators. And since then, I became a co-owner with a media company with my good friend. And so, Coach, the one thing that I've learned and you've taught me, what is the one thing, so that such, that will make everything either easier or unnecessary? And the one thing is Kona Ice, my franchise, has been able to fund and back what I really want to do, and that's to impact, inspire, and influence people. My name is John. And it's been a pleasure to be on the podcast, sir. Listen, I want to say thank you. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. Law, listen, it, I, I want you guys to do me a favor when uh, you hear this, share this podcast out with someone that you know. Uh, John, it was a pleasure, man, having you. And uh, I want everybody to listen. Let me tell you all so that y'all are really, really clear. I honestly believe that in order for you to get to any place of significance, you're going to need help. You cannot do that by yourself. We all need some help, and we'll see you guys back next week for another episode of We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. Well, I'd like to thank you guys for joining us once again for another edition of We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. Uh, be sure to download this, and if you need to connect to us any kind of way, uh, you can reach us at www.glennpbrooksjr.com. At the end of the day, y'all already know what time it is. You cannot get to any place of significance by yourself because we all need some help. Y'all be good, and we'll talk soon.